Super, thank you. Okay, get your thinking caps on. I'm going to take you through uh, a geopolitical uh, tour of Israel very, very quickly. There are three major keys to understanding the nation of Israel. The people, the law, and the land. The people, the law, and the land. Jewish identity as the distinct people group, that's the identity as the distinct ethnic group, dates back to the call of Abraham, 2160, about a date of birth. So roughly 2000 BC, the identity of the Jewish race ethnically was was demonstrated by God's call. 1440 BC, about 600 years later, the second major defining characteristic of the Jewish nation is the law, the Torah. <coughs> Written by Moses, given at Mount Sinai about 1444 BC, they spent 11 months at the foot of the mountain, God gave them the law, and Moses wrote down Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the first five books of the Bible are the sacred Torah to the Jewish nation. There's the prophets and the writings that are also uh, holy in their regard, but the Torah really codifies their relationship with God, who they are, and their relationship with other people. The land is the third component of the Jewish identity, and that came about 1405 B.C. Remember, God had promised Israel the land through Abraham a number of years before, but if you want to talk about the identification of the Jewish nation, the Jewish people, it's who they are as a people with relationship to God, the call of Abraham, their ethnicity. Number two, the law that defines their relationship with God and each other. And number three, the land itself. There are three components, and Stuart and I had this conversation. Actually, Stuart informed me that the Israeli Supreme Court has actually taken this question trying to understand what is a Jew. Now, if you ever go to Israel, you will understand why that question is not an academic question. There are three characteristics to answer that question. Number one, and by the way, Israel has all three of these folks. So does the world. But Israel, as a, as a cosmopolitan nation state, has that. Number one, you are a biologic Jew by birth, correct? By descent, by blood, by ethnicity. You're born to Jewish parents, Jewish grandparents, Jewish great-grandparents. That is who you are, identity, because you are a blood descendant of Abraham. That's not the only definition of what a Jew is. A Jew is also a religious Jew by practice. You can be Gentile by blood and a Jew by practice if you believe the Torah is the divine word of God and if you practice the Jewish faith as it is written down in the Torah, delineated in the Torah, and there's the Mishkan and a number of other things as well. So you can be an ethnic Jew. You can be a religious Jew. You can also be a national Jew. You can belong as a citizen of the state of Israel and neither be an ethnic Jew nor a practicing Jew. You get in a degree of complexity here. It's going to get real, real interesting at that point in time. So you can be identified as a Jew by means of family, by faith, by citizenship, by blood, by law, by land. But all of those folks reside in a very, very small state. The state of Israel is 260 miles from top to bottom. From the Red Sea, I think Rob's got a map up for us, the Gulf of Aqaba, which is way down at the bottom of the Red Sea, all the way to the top to Lebanon. It's only 260 miles. I mean, that's barely from here to Sacramento. Sacramento is 275 miles, right? And the bulk of the Israelite population lives in the top half of the country, which is about 150 miles long. It's not a big place. You see the big green insert on the right-hand side in the state of Israel? That's the West Bank. If we ever get to a two-state solution, that will be a Palestinian state, 
it almost cuts Israel in half. You can go from point A to point B in Israel by car, by bus, before you can blink. We look at California. You know how long California is top to bottom? A little over 800 miles. We're talking the bulk of the people live in 150 miles. That's barely here to Modesto, just past Fresno at this point in time. So it's a very, very small nation state at that point in time. Rob, if you can give us a broad view picture of where Israel fits on the, in the Middle East at that point, have you ever asked yourself why they call it the Middle East? If you, between the Far East and the it, West. It, it's, it's in the middle. Now, I want you to think strategically. I want you to think very strategically from God's perspective. God had a relationship with humanity through Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve broke that relationship with sin. We now have a distant, broken relationship. On numerous occasions in the Old Testament, God reaches out and attempts to rebuild that relationship, to reconcile God and man together, right? Finally, it didn't work too well, and he had to bring the flood, and we had eight people left, right? Start over. We started over with eight people. It doesn't go very long until it says wickedness increased. God said, I want you to multiply and spread out and cover the planet. They said, we're all going to stay in one spot, and we're going to stay, and we're going to build a tower to heaven to see what God is up to. That was called the Tower of Babel, right? Lots of babbling going on. They had one mother tongue. They all spoke the same language. God said, I told you to fill up the earth, spread out, so I'm going to change your languages so we're going to disperse you. You know why he did that? I'll tell you. I'm glad you asked. <laughs> he did that because he couldn't win the human race as one. We'd already tried that. We had to bring the flood and it didn't work. He was going to break them into multiple groups and win them one people group at a time. That was the strategy. And that's why the Tower of Babel came and he dispersed them over the entire planet. God refined that strategy when he called Abraham. God is a revealing God. He wants to be known. He wants humanity to know him. He wants to be a relational God. The strategy was, I will take one small people group, very small, I will give them my law. I will reveal myself to this people group called the nation of Israel, called the Hebrew race. They will be in a relationship with me, and through them I will reach the world. Now, in order for God to reach the world through this changed people group called Israel, he has to strategically place them on planet Earth. The Middle East is the connection point. It's the nexus point between Asia to the east Europe to the northwest, Africa to the south, right? All three, if you look at the Eurasian continent, the African continent, the European continent, and you back off at a flat map and you look at it, the Middle East is right in the middle point of that. And Israel is dead in the middle of the Middle East. If you look at the Mediterranean Sea, Rob's going to try and show you that. He'll be playing around with the maps to make it work for you at that point. You will notice that Israel, on the extreme eastern edge of the Mediterranean Sea, functions as the only land bridge between Asia, Africa, and Europe. If you want to go from Asia to Africa to Europe, you must go through the Via Maris, the Way of the Sea, which is the primary trade route and military route between those three continents. So God's plan is... I'm going to reveal myself to the nation of Israel. I'm going to change them by their relationship with me. And I'm going to place them in the convergent zone of every great empire on planet Earth. 
Now you say, well, how come they just can't cross the Mediterranean? Why do they got to go to the land bridge? If you saw ships of that era traveling the Mediterranean, it was pretty risky business. Lots of storms, lots of pirates, etc., etc. Much safer to run land at that point in time. So the nation of Israel lies on every major trade route between those continents, and they got to collect tolls on all that, and also the military routes. So God says to Israel, here's the strategy. I'm going to put you in a place where the rest of the world will come and see. That's the strategy through the entire Old Testament. Come and see. Come to Israel and see. Yeah. Sorry, is, is, is the West Bank on the east side of Israel? The West Bank is the west side of the Jordan River. It's on the east side of Israel, but what they call it the West Bank, it's the west of the Jordan River. But it's eastern Israel. Yeah, good, good question. Very good question. So God says, my strategy through the entire Old Testament is come and see. Come and see. I'm going to put my people in a strategic plot on planet Earth so the rest of the world will be forced via trade, via military route to come, get impacted by the God of Israel, and take that knowledge to the rest of the world. Remember when Philip the evangelist was called by God to go to the road and Candace, the Ethiopian queen, had sent her finance minister, he was a eunuch, to go to Israel, and he was reading Isaiah 53. He didn't know what he was reading, and God sent Philip to go explain to him, and it says he went on his way rejoicing. One person took the gospel to the entire Ethiopian empire. That's God's strategy. Come and see. Now, big change in strategy. When Jesus came... He gave the church, the ecclesia, as Dave talked about, their marching orders, and it wasn't come and see, it was go and tell. Go and tell. So the Old Testament's come and see, the New Testament's go and tell. Matthew 28, what's the Great Commission? Go into all the world and make disciples. Now, do we have come and see? We invite people to church. That's come and see, that's a legitimate strategy, but he wants you to be salt out of the salt shaker into your world and go and tell. Go and tell. That's Matthew 28. The land of Israel, if we could have a really high, big, global look, uh, Rob, lies on two tectonic plates. You've got the Arabian plate, and you've got the African plate. And those two tectonic plates are moving apart slowly, 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 slowly. You have a great rift valley, because when you have tectonic plates move apart, they create a valley. That great rift valley starts in Lebanon, just north of Israel, runs all the way through the Hula Valley, the entire Jordan River runs right in the middle of that Great Rift Valley, right? All the way down to the Dead Sea. Now, the Great Rift Valley doesn't stop at the Dead Sea. It runs all the way down to Mozambique, 4,000 miles below. So you have two tectonic plates, and Israel is right on the border of one of those. And the whole Jordan River runs right down the middle of that Great Valley at that point in time, and that's the eastern state of Israel at that point. This is a land, of, as Danny said, is a land of rocks and more rocks and more rocks. Everything is rocks. It's a great preservative. If you look at Israel, it's surrounded by four nation states. Egypt to the south, Jordan to the east, to the east, Syria to the northeast, and little Lebanon to the north itself. It's got four neighbors. None of those neighbors in themselves pose an existential threat to political Israel today. The southwestern flank of Israel is protected by the Sinai Desert. If you look at the Egypt and you look, there's a Sinai Peninsula. It's all desert between Israel 
and Egypt. Egypt poses no existential threat to Israel at this point in time. Jordan doesn't either. South and east of Eliot uh, is all desert. 30 to 50 miles east of the Jordan River is all desert. It's very difficult, folks, to militarily move uh, folks across deserts to invade countries. Israel is very vulnerable from the north. From the north. When you read the Old Testament, almost all of their invasions all come from the north. And they, most of them came through Syria. In the Old Testament, you'll see Aram, A-R-A-M. Over and over in the Kings and Chronicles, you see invasions from Aram, invasions from Syria, invasions from Assyria, invasions from Babylon. They all came through the north. We know that we're going to get into Revelation in a couple months, and that's where the final invasion of Israel will take place, from the north. So strategically, they're very, very vulnerable at that point in time. One last thing. Israel, the state, has three major geographies. There are three strategically distinct <laughs> segments of Israeli geography, and it has produced three very different kinds of people in this nation state. Number one, you have the coastal plain. The coastal plain runs from Tel Aviv to Haifa. This is right on the Mediterranean. This is like California coast. When you go there and you go to Tel Aviv to Haifa, you'll go, oh, this is California, right? It's right on the Mediterranean. You can surf there. You can walk. Everything looks just like California at that point in time. This coastal area is a commerce, it's a commercial, it's a trade zone. It's very cosmopolitan. It produces merchants. It produces, uh, historically, what sailors Israel had, not very many. It's a very urban, cosmopolitan, manufacturer, trade-oriented part of Israel. Tel Aviv to Haifa is oriented toward the water, toward outside. Stuart gave me a phrase, he said, what they say in Israel is Tel Aviv plays and Jerusalem prays. Very, very true. Very, very true. It's a, it's a completely different mindset on the coastal plain. The second major chunk is the northeast hill country of Galilee. If you, if you can give us a close-up, Rob, if you look at Jerusalem all the way to the Lebanon border, that's the, that's the hill country of Galilee. The ten tribes of Israel occupied that northern area. It's about 80, 90 miles in, in size at that point in time. It includes the Golan Heights, the Hula Valley, Valley of Jezreel. All of that is in that Galilee area. Jesus had his ministry at Capernaum on the Sea of Galilee, dead in the middle of that at that point in time. It's a very rich farming region, and historically it's produced warriors and farmers. Warriors and farmers. The third area of this nation state is east of Jerusalem to the Jordan River and south. Anything south of Jerusalem includes the Negev Desert. Here's the key thing. Jerusalem itself is dry, dry, dry. The rainfall is very, very limited. There's almost all shepherding and herding. We saw lots of sheep, lots of shepherds, lots of herds, almost no farming. There's not enough water to farm. So it's a herding country, and it produces very, very tough people because it's not a friendly environment at that point in time. It, typically, it has produced very hardened warriors and a lot of herdsmen, and there is a much more serious religious conviction operating in Jerusalem and south there is in the north, and that's largely shaped by climate and outside influences. If you look at the nation-state of Israel, I want you to look and see where Jerusalem is. It's almost right at the geographical center of the whole country. 
David in about 1000 BC was um, going to be crowned king. His headquarters was Hebron. He didn't have a capital city. If you want to unite the nation, number one, you don't pick a popular site that's already allied with any other tribe because then you create division. So Joab conquered Jerusalem, which was held by the Jebusites. He took it. It wasn't allied with the north, the west, or the south. It was a neutral location. From David's standpoint, that made an ideal capital. It's also surrounded on three sides of I Valley, so it's very, very defendable, and it's right in the middle of the country. There's lots and lots of reasons why Jerusalem makes a very, very good capital, uh, and that's why David did what he did at that point in time. Historically, Israel has been quite secure as long as it's internally cohesive. When it gets fractured, northern kingdom, southern kingdom, they have problems. A united Israel seldom has problems with its immediate neighbors, Egypt, Jordan, Syria, and Lebanon. Israel's vulnerability comes when the great powers decide that they need footholds on that land bridge. The Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Greeks, the Romans, and <coughs> lately, in the last century or two, the British, the Ottomans before that, and now Uncle Sam, Uncle Sugar, and the Soviet Union all want to have a foothold on that land bridge, and that's when they are very, very vulnerable. The things that in America are meaningless are life and death to Israel. Folks, when you're sitting at the Golan Heights, you can sit there and you can see artillery emplacements with your bare eyes across the border. That's like somebody in Rosedale having an artillery emplacement targeting Valley Baptist. I mean, you can see it. It's not theoretical. It's not, well, there's ICBMs 8,000 miles away. We're surrounded by oceans and pretty much friendly neighbors on two sides. They're surrounded by enemies. You can look at the whites of their eyes. It will completely change your mindset when you can look at your enemies and know that they want you dead. That's the impediment to a two-state solution. Barack, uh, not Barack Obama, but Enid Barack, the former prime minister, actually sat down with Arafat in the uh, late 90s, and they had a deal to do a two-state solution and implement the West Bank. And Arafat said, only if you'll let 2.5 million Palestinians immigrate into Israel so we can overpower your democratic process and we can run the country. Well, that's suicide. Israel says it's not going to happen at that point in time. So there's three major configurations. I'm going to close with this. Israel can function as an independent, autonomous state, as it was under King David and Solomon. Israel can function as a vassal state, as it did under the Persians, a client state, if you will. And third, it can be completely crushed, as it was under the Babylonians. Israel is unique on the planet. It is the only people group in the history of humanity that has been completely dispersed, thrown off their land, not once but twice. From 586 to 516, they were in Babylon. The temple was down, and they were dispersed off the land. God brought them back because he made a promise. And secondly, even more staggering, in AD 70, Titus Vespasian came, completely destroyed the city, destroyed the temple, sowed it with salt, started another city, threw the Jews off the land, and they were dispersed for how long? <coughs> Until May 14, 1948. Almost 2,000 years of dispersal, the only thing that kept them together was their commitment to the Torah, and God Almighty brought them back to the land as testimony to his faithfulness because he made him a promise. 
Israel, national Israel, has a huge future in front of them. Romans 9, 10, 11 tells us that. We're going to get into Revelation, and you will see, we're going to walk through this in great detail from June to December, Lord willing, in this class. You will see that God's plan for Israel has not anywhere near been finished. Not anywhere near been finished, because he is a covenant-keeping God. And what do we know about God? When he keeps his word, when he makes says something, he always keeps his word. All right, we could talk for days. I'm sorry we're running out of time. I do love you guys. What you have heard, you are now accountable to do what with? Since you know, obey. All right, I love you. Next week, uh, Zechariah, the last three chapters of Zechariah, 12, 13, 14. Study up.